back. It's the Winging It F1 podcast for 2023. Yes, we've got another year of us three doing a podcast. Yes, that's I bet that is what you wanted to hear in the first <laughs> week of January. Uh, I'm Nigel Chu, obviously, and I'm joined by two people who haven't joined the Saudi Arabian Football Club for 200 million. It is Freddie Coates and Adam Dickinson. How are you both doing? Yeah, good. I mean, do yeah. you know that for certain? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you do. Um, I, I haven't, and I know Freddie hasn't either. So, uh, yeah, yeah no, I'm my manager. I'm, I'm good. It's our fourth year that we have made podcasts in, so that's an accolade. Wow, yeah, this exciting. COVID project is still going. Um, <laughs> even as they relax the the policy in China, we're still we're still plugging away in different rooms in different parts of the country talking about Formula One. This was actually Freddie's uni project in second year, but we're still doing it. Uh, was it? I've, I've I forgot to hand that in. Started in first year, <laughs> technically. Did it? Well, oh, yeah, it would have been first year. It started yeah. in first year of uni for all of us. Adam's still at uni, but he's technically in seventh year now. And <laughs> <laughs> Nigel and I both have jobs. It's becoming increasingly difficult to fit this around, and we love doing it, and we're going to carry on. And Nigel, take control of this podcast, for goodness sake. Oh, take control uh today we're talking about talking points uh in f1 not just the world because else we'll be here forever but we're gonna do the world one day but no. we're talking about f1 <laughs> uh f1 talking you didn't know what asylum was <laughs> basically gonna uh there's a out. myth that we can build up about nigel with these podcasts and honestly the sort of the law of winging it that we built over the, the sort of winging it cinematic podcast universe is just myths about nigel <laughs> it's just what, what Stop would, what's a mythical... i've got no furniture in my room right now <laughs> exactly what's why a, has he got no a... furniture in his room because someone's squatting in his house i mean for goodness sake what's a mythical new year's resolution that we can make up about nigel that will then become part of the law Actually, nigel... nigel have you made any new year's resolutions of course not. No. You don't believe in why haven't you made solutions, solutions? Don't you? Because you, you know can what? just do it any time, can't you? That, so why not? You can do Christmas any time, technically. If I it's need to set myself excuse. a t- it's a good excuse to reflect on yourself and think, oh, okay, excuses. how can I make myself, you know, a better person for other people and for myself? Nigel doesn't yeah. care about us. Learn what is. Everyone's always constantly improving, or they should be. So well, that's, that's condescending. <laughs> Freddie, did you make any, <laughs> any New Year's resolutions? It was um, it was to bully Nigel more. Um, <laughs> genuinely was. Um, oh great. I I I I I mean yes, we approach the year with just a really positive attitude because oh. it's very easy to get left behind in these kind of things, and if you can start as you mean to go on, then that's just the best way, in my opinion. I mean, if you, I think. To be honest, actually, in a serious point, our first podcast of 2021, going back a bit, was quite a personal one for all of us. It was, we basically, after having it spent a year of lockdowns and so on, going to another lockdown, we opened up and did a whole podcast about our mental health and then spoke about some F1 at the end of it. Um, and it was just, we just did, but it was quite a personal episode for us. And I think that set us up very nicely as a podcast and as people for that year. And I think it's a similar mentality to the where we were post that podcast is how i want to sort of live this year well, that is, that's quite nice i'm not even to make nice. a joke or anything <laughs> that's quite nice make a joke uh, yeah. learn what asylum we're talking, is we're talking about f1 talking points adam we're going to come to you first what is the first thing you wanted to bring up and open up about today <laughs> well there's probably some pun there about bringing up because you bring up children and who I am, <laughs> what I'm bringing up first aren't children, but they are children in an F1 sense because they are zero years old, but they seem to have turned one years old because they are the F1 rookies. There are three of them this season, Nick DeVries, Oscar Piastri and Logan Sarden. And I just think it's going to be, uh, they've all come from it from very different um points obviously sergeant came through after one year in f2 and then finished fifth has gone straight up to formula one um or fourth and piastri came from having an absolutely glittering junior career and then has had a year out and a massive massive contract fight and is now in formula one and de Vries has taken the road less less traveled really but that could open up a lot more potential i think we'll talk later about 2024 already but 
this season or looking ahead to next season already, then there seems to be a lot more drivers outside of Formula 2 right now than inside it who will be linked to seats. And De Vries' success or failure could have an impact on some of those. So, yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting set of rookies. We've got three rookies this year rather than one last year where Joe was guaranteed to win the Rookie of the Year award. So, yeah, I think that's interesting to see how we how they track and how they do. Yeah, it's very talented as well, Freddie, aren't they? This is probably the most talented trio we've had since Russell now Albon, isn't it? Oh, definitely. It's incredibly talented grid. Just um, anyway, the Formula 1 grid is looking very tasty at the moment. But I would say sort of the the acceptance of Nick de Vries into Formula 1 from alternative racing categories and being considered to be one of the better Formula 1 rookies in recent years really warms my heart as a motorsport fan. Um I knock on this drum quite a lot, but I'm, I, I think Nigel, you and I agree that if you sort of take the triumvirate of the three, you go F1, then Formula E, WEC and IndyCar as the next three, really. Nick De Vries is sort of middle on that list of drivers I would take from those championships into Formula One anyway. So, and the fact that uh, he's being considered so highly just makes me think of sort of very happily about the sort of standing of all the other championships um and i hope as adam says it can lead to a whole more wider spectrum of drivers being considered for formula one and being considered professionally as good racing drivers in their own right and i hope it could lead to van dorm being reconsidered for f1 well because if you look at van dorn versus de Vries, you would consider van dorn over de Vries, um basically um well i think there's loads loads of people who do deserve f1 i think all the people in f1 do deserve f1 because you know, they've all won to get there, and but it doesn't mean that people who aren't in F1 don't deserve it. It's a there's lots of people knocking on that door, and hopefully it it can widen the pool from just whoever has a Prima seat in F2. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of talent. Not to knock Piastri on the Prima seat, by the way, because he was stunning. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in motorsport who haven't even been had a sniff of getting to F1. I think like half the full league, probably even a bit more, could be on F, could be in F1 and they would do a solid job at the very least. I, I generally think that. I don't think there's too much actually between the two championships in terms of their driver quality, even though the F1 grid is very, very strong over the last few years. So I think the Vries, it is only one driver, but it would be nice to see him do well, just so then you don't get people saying, oh, look at that, De Vries has come from Formula E and he's doing bad, it's happening, all the Formula E drivers are bad. Right. So, in, for that kind of thing, I hope De Vries does well. That was my first impression of the year. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why I did that. Oh, no, I but did. totally, I completely <laughs> agree with that, because what you're sort of saying is, yeah, it, it's a whole new path. It's De Vries is, mm. as Adam says, the, the road less travelled, which is to do other racing and then but keep in your foot in the Formula One door. And that's very hard to do, particularly when, you know, the other racing is offering so many opportunities. He's got multi-million dollar deals for to, to do a joint WEC and uh Formula E campaign with would have been Maserati and would have been Toyota, who are both very, very accomplished teams. Um Maserati having taken over the Venturi team. And uh, there's a lot to walk away from but and I, and I think he's been given that chance to mature as a driver which yeah if you look at him from F2 there was you can decry why there wasn't much sort of push for De Vries to get into Formula 1 in 20, the end of 2019 but um, he's he's been able to mature and develop as a driver even more and now he's come to Formula 1 a better driver than he would have done and I think that's yeah. there's a lot of drivers who could have walked that route and it's a good I, thing. I think he's in I'd say he's in the best position to succeed right away as well. Um, I think it's kind of, yeah, that, you know, that's part of what I mean. It's a really interesting comparison. Obviously he's a more, a much more senior driver than the other two and he's got the more experience, but also I think the team he's in, Alfred Tari will be hoping for a rebound year after really disappointing last year, but he's against Sonoda, whereas Sargent's coming in. Actually, I, I mean, Sargent's had a lot more uh, racing experience than Sonoda did coming into F1, but I think it could be a kind of similar thing in terms of rookies coming after one season where they finish top five but not top three in f2 and then kind of going straight in 
Um, he's up against a formidable teammate in Alex Albon. And I think, you know, it might, I think it might be a kind of learning curve year for Sargent. And then obviously Piastri's got one of uh, you know, the top job, three, yeah. top three, top two drivers from last season that he's going up against in McLaren. That's been difficult for drivers coming in, especially from outside the system, as we talked about a loss on this podcast. So I think if you're looking at the three right now, I'd say De Vries is in the best place to um, succeed, but obviously a lot of stuff to go. Wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think it's a tricky one to decide between Sargent and Piastri who's in the harder position. Because yeah. I think I think Piastri, I think, does have a bit more natural flair to to fall back on. Just the way he was able to perform in F2 was mind-blowing. Um, and the only reason I think he didn't break some records was because it was the weird three race of a weekend year. Um, otherwise, he probably could have broken quite a few F2 records. Um, but he's also there. But then he's going up against Norris, as you say. But Sargent's coming into a better sort of environment with Williams, you could say, an environment that nurtured him a bit more than McLaren have nurtured Piastri. Um, and because Piastri's been trained for an entirely different team. And you look at that with, in Alpine, you look at that with Sargent, it's kind of, he's coming into a car, he's driven in majority of the free practice sessions in the latter half of the year and has done a lot of good testing with. So it's interesting to see who's got the harder boat out of those two. I don't know what, where I lie on that, on that, I, I think there's less pressure on Sargent just because he's yeah. he'll be further towards the back. I think Piastri, given what went on in the summer as well, there were some comments from like, I think it was it Total Wolf or Horner? One, one of them said, Oh, like they weren't very happy about how that, like if that was their team, they, they weren't very happy about how that was handled, that kind of thing. But so I think there's more pressure naturally on Piastri because he'll be closer to the front because. There's more expectation, I think. Uh, and I, is he, I, I, yeah, I think he will handle it to some extent, but I'm just not 100% sure if he's what some people make out. He is to be. I'm not sure if he's going to be like the elite of the elite. But we'll, we'll, we'll have to There's see. always that question mark, isn't there? Until, they, yeah. until they're in a Formula One car. I mean, like, only really Leclerc gave that vote of confidence in his first season in recent years of graduate drivers anyway to get and we were still talking about maybe Kimi Raikkonen staying at Ferrari for 2019 just because it's yeah. it's still there's still young rookie drivers and there's just only so much you can look at yes we can look at it with Piastri um an excellent F2 season excellent F3 season and and so on but you know sometimes it just doesn't wash like someone like Zanardi um who had a wonderful career outside of Formula One and so on, and particularly in uh, Indy Racing League, Champ Car, whatever it was, Kart, um, didn't didn't wash with Williams when he was in Formula One at all, and it was a hugely disappointing transition. So, granted, that was twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, but it's it's a very famous example of a hugely rated driver everywhere, apart from and and rated when he was in Formula One struggling, but just struggling. So, it's. There's a lot to sort of question here um, yeah. before we see wheels turned in anger. And Bahrain still isn't necessarily the best metric, as we saw with Sonoda in 2021. So it's going to take a few races. Mm. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. It's kind of difficult, but I do think there's maybe more question marks over Sargent than the others, just in terms of, you know, he's yeah. coming out of a rookie season in F2. He looked quite skittish in his kind of final weekend in Abu Dhabi where he needed to prove it and he did manage to get through but it wasn't a kind of flawless weekend it wasn't the dominant weekend that I guess you'd hope to see yes. from you know an elite future elite driver and yeah it, it's you know they're still looking at his career it's been impressive but it's maybe lacking you know he's not I don't think won a championship he you know it, he's not had that you know really wow standout moment although you could say actually f3 so i take that back um but yeah I just think maybe there's more question marks over Sargent than any of the others so you know, yeah, the only kind of that element, the only underscore we would say is that that Piastri F3 championship, yeah, would have been equal level of success for Sargent if he needed it, if he had won that in the end. Yeah. But he was taken out out of his own, um, out of his control and was on target to win that race, win that championship, in my opinion. So I, I think that should be ranked at the same, but yes, in F2, yeah. he wasn't as good as Piastri. So from Sergeant, who's probably going to be towards the back, let's go to the front of the pack. That was a good segue, wasn't it? Uh, Freddie, title race, 
what title do you race think is going to happen, or what do you what are you thinking? 2022 F1 obviously started with the belief that there was going to be no title race and that Charles Leclerc was going to walk away with it. <laughs> and then for a, a hopeful two or three races, we thought Sergio Perez would be in a title fight. And no, then, no, no, right. and then, if Matt, you had a brain, you didn't think that. It was a collective we of those was, of us who don't have brains. I was and, looking forward to seeing where that was going. <laughs> and then we had a brilliant title fight between Max Verstappen versus the air. And thankfully, the air didn't win. Yeah. And Max Verstappen won 15 races, and yeah, the title right. fight was left lacking. Oh, the air. I thought it meant like the oxygen and that. No, I did genuinely just mean air resistance because that's the resistance. Ah. But um, um, <laughs> basically, the concept, Nigel, was it was him, him versus nothing. Oh, because he's that good. Well, no, because the air doesn't really put up much of a fight. Oh. Never did Ferrari. Exactly. There we go. He gets it. <laughs> He gets it, but he was t- telling, saying we didn't have brains. Um, but What's anyway, happen this year, <laughs> well, this year is a whole different kettle of fish, or it might not be. We don't really know. But um, we obviously well, have it's a, a new... talking point. If we did know, then it'd be uh... well. That's the thing. What's it's more happen? of a hopeful talking point. It's more of a hopeful talking point because obviously Mercedes were plugging away and plugging away, and we know they're a, a cracking race team. Ferrari have got a new head on show and Fred Vasseur. Um, he's going to have full confidence of the board, definitely, because they don't want to look like that. Like that. Don't want to look like they're that stupid. So there might be an element of stability just built from that at Ferrari. That's clutching its jaws, perhaps. Um, but if Ferrari can do more of the same technically, then hopefully they can force themselves into a title fight, even if it is just f- from some pole positions. Carla Science came on better at the end of the season as well. So realistically, when you look at it um, from the perspective of trajectory, Rebel with Verstappen should be pretty good. Two great Merck drivers, two great Ferrari drivers. So if we're looking at it with hope, there'll be a few tenths between those three teams. And if it is that five, I well, let's say four, let's discount Carlos Sainz. I do think the others have an element of metal above him. If it is a Russell, Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc going at it for wins, I don't really know at all where any of this, when any of it could go. I agree, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. That's yeah, I, I, I think it's it's hard to I'll, think I'll, I'll tell you something, isn't it? I'll tell you something, though. I've got more faith in Ferrari than Mercedes. Oh, that's fun. Interesting. I, I think what we're seeing last year and this year is the character of the Mercedes team. They've lost a few people, of course, over the last two or three years. What are they like when they're down? Now, last year they were going on about after the first four or five races we'll get back into it we'll get back into it and they kind of did to an extent or the Red Bull did stop developing in August September-ish so and you know they've been very positive uh, for this year Total Wolf saying that this year is going to be a lot better and they'll be much closer and that kind of thing so they're talking a good game but are they going to do it in terms of the technical ability of the engineers, from what I've seen from Ferrari and Mercedes over the last couple of years, I believe more in Ferrari, even with all the operational problems, which will still probably happen this year, I think. In terms of the car, I would rather be in a Ferrari. And I mean, I'm saying this before, like, pre-season yeah. test. It's like, what oh, no, totally. We all are. But, but, like, I've just got more faith in Ferrari, I think, than Mercedes. So, yeah, I think, I think that that... The Ferrari return gives me faith in Mercedes, if that makes sense. So Ferrari being able to sort of fall back and then bring themselves back up to the front makes me think that Mercedes can do pretty similar. See, I I think that, you know, considering Mercedes just started out with basically the wrong package and it fundamentally flawed and yeah. they were able to work around that and managed to get up into race winning contention by the end of the season. I think for... Mercedes, that's kind of why I'm optimistic this year is if I think they can, they, you know, know more of what they're aiming at now that they can hopefully come with a more competitive package to start with um, and then go for it. I think obviously the wildcard is, as Nigel said, Red Bull have had a lot more time to be working on this than anyone else. They have had the, uh, they've got kind of a double win tunnel penalty um, because of the cost cap penalty and just the fact that they are the um, reigning champions. So there's that, but... Won't, won't have think... affected their development for this year's car though. Mm. 
it will affect the development of the car later in the season depending on how they use that but yeah um, it won't affect the start of 2023 yeah but as the season goes on then it is a hindrance that they have obviously that is balanced against the fact that they are a very very good team but um and i think ferrari i mean if you're kind of looking for for optimism then this is really the season where you'd hope you'd have the best of both worlds because you'll have had bonotto's technical input on the 2023 car and your you know what they'll be hoping is that Vasseur's kind of street smartness in races and kind of his ability to run an efficient team on race weekends will you know you'll have kind of both benefits of that as the season goes on obviously they won't have been asked to develop the car further but if you're coming into it in the first few races they'd hope that they'll be in a good position because they've got you know in theory the strength of both team principles helping them so yeah that's kind of where I see all the teams going I think it's, it's still so hard to look past Rebel, though. Um, yeah. But I do. Maybe out of the two, I'd maybe lean a bit more towards Mercedes, but it's very hard to call. Are we completely ruling out any other teams joining the fight? I think for this year, I wouldn't be surprised if Alpine on some weekends are pretty good. Okay. They don't have the Alonso factor anymore. I don't That's think Gasly and Ocon can soar in the in sort of the absolute pace in the way that Alonso could. But I think Alpine's best race drive um, in terms of points of 2022 was by Ocon, which was Suzuka. And so, 2021. Well, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Suzuka, he drove absolutely wonderfully. So they, they can do it, Gasly and Ocon. I think Gasly, when he beds in at Alpine, because well, Alonso always struggled to bed in at Alpine and Ricardo did, but they both actually got to pretty, really good positions with that team sort of um, a third of the way through the season. So I'd imagine similar from Gasly. and. I think Ocon and Gasly are, you know, very good operators, particularly in a race. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some bold moves from Alpine to be, I don't know, it could be a no man's land fourth in the way that Force India was in 2017 and 18, sort of around there. But it could also be a, a chipping at the block fourth place. And so, I'd, I'd also just like to point out that Ocon had their best point scoring result in 2020 as well. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, this, 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 what well, this kind of brings me onto the budget cap, cap a bit. But like this, in terms of the racing or sporting aspects of it, the problem with it is surely the pecking order over the next three years until twenty twenty until yeah, until the next twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, next three seasons is going to be like not change too much because he can't throw money at it. I mean, yes, the bigger teams always have more money to spend anyway. But if you're a midfield team, you can't like throw whatever well, that's money the you size have and development big... scale isn't it that's mm. the development scale wind tunnel stuff well, I think the there's only so much that can do obviously and we're not going to be able to see this until over time but like if we if, if you know if you like say oh but wait to see with the development scale we have to wait to see with the budget cap and but also it's... how how many midfield teams or teams that aren't the top three will be able to compete financially with the top three anyway in the first place to be honest that's actually under this the thing that's giving them money now is the fact that there's a budget cap and, and a better franchise system with the rolling out of the prize money. It'd be interesting to see in four or five years if, if Formula One doesn't um, doesn't crash and it stays on the crest of this wave that it's that it's riding at the moment and can soar and soar. And the, the value of these teams can get to a point where they can um, probably turn over a good amount of money for a budget, but it will, still wouldn't be as high as what Mercedes and Ferrari are putting in nearly 10 years ago now that's the thing and so i think it's all well and good saying that there was an option to put money at it but the teams that threw money at it were mercedes ferrari and red bull and um the only years they weren't in the top three were 2014 and 15 because williams had a slippery car i I think i think the team i'm i'm not going to say that they're going to be they're going to break into that um, front-running group. But I'm interested to see where Aston are because they did have an upturn at the end of last season. Obviously, they've got Alonso coming in. They've got the um, kind of off-track um, investment projects. I don't know how many of them will be online to help this year. But, you know, that is a... If you're looking at kind of momentum building, then that's the team that I'd highlight the most. Alpine, yes, they had a very good season last season. It just feels like a very Alpine Renault team Edston thing to do to then have a bit of a drop off after improving for a few years. So um, I'm not sure how much I trust their consistency yet, although they have made changes, but yeah, I think Aston is the team I'm most interested in um, because yeah, it feels like they've got the momentum, but also it'd be a very Alonso thing to go to the team that looks like it's got that momentum <laughs> building and then falls back. 
Aston's the interesting one because I was going to bring them up with our discussion on Mercedes because they were the team who did a big concept shift. And admittedly, they realised their first concept was was poor before the season started and then just started again, but had to wait obviously till Spain to have their green Red Bull, which but they proved that you know they had that concept in the works beforehand. And that then worked and they were able to work on that that concept live as the season was going on and ended the season on a bit of a run that deservedly moved them up in the constructors' standings. So there is a point there to be made that there's we're still at such a, a fresh young point of these regulations that concept shifts can change teams' fortunes pretty nicely. Hmm. Um, I think the, yeah, the, the last thing I'll kind of say before we move on to the budget cap uh, as a topic, then, you know, what does kind of improve parity generally is um, consistency of rules. And by and large, we have that. And I think that will help, you know, should help bunch the grid up a bit. And, you know, there's only only kind of so many advantages you can make. So that's that's where I'm crossing. Best, at best we can. I mean... Formula One does love a medal, but um, sometimes they love a medal because the consistent rules consistently, as Nigel says, fall into a pattern. So it's a, the annoying thing is we're all right because we just have to wait and see. But all of our theories in this hold water and that's because it's the future. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I think, well, realistically, for a title fight for this year, um, if you did have uh, the top three teams, just to round it off in a re- in a in a very good in a competitive order, let's say it's like a twenty twenty one where Merck and Red Bull are, are slamming at each other every day. Um, if that's Ferrari, Mercedes, or Red Bull in terms of pace, where are you ranking your top six drivers in the championship? Oh bloody hell, Fred! He's <laughs> only second in January, mate. Let's save that for February. <laughs> uh, do we have to answer that now? Can we yeah. not yes. tease okay. the audience? Okay. <clears throat> right, right now, sixth Perez, fifth sign. Right signed. now, surely not going to change for the next seven weeks. Sixth well, Perez, fifth sign. The question doesn't. The question never changes. <laughs> well, the answers can't either because like, it, it, it should have changed before testing. Fourth we? Russell. That's interesting. It's yeah, it's really difficult. Um, but yeah. What was your sixth yeah. and fifth? Sorry, four, I didn't four, uh, sorry. Sure, so yeah. science. Uh, so so sorry. Sixth Perez, fifth Science, fourth Russell by an absolute hair, third Leclerc, second Hamilton, first Verstappen. I'm going sixth Perez, fifth Science, fourth Leclerc, third Hamilton, second Russell, first Verstappen. Uh, For some reason. Where, where, where do you think the edge while Nigel ums and ours? Because I think the reason I put it between Leclerc and Russell, hmm. um, I think I just put Leclerc's. Um, I think, you know, absolutely monster qualifying pace um, just to smidge ahead. And I think in terms of a championship, the fact that he's not got a teammate to battle who's as competitive as Lewis Hamilton. Where do you think the edge for Russell is over Leclerc? I think Russell can, has proven that he can pull something pretty deep um, out of himself. And when he was in a good groove with that at Williams, when it felt like the points were coming, they were coming, they were coming. He was getting better and better and better with the way he was putting out with that car. And the same in Formula 2. And I think he got a bit comfortable quickly and sort of not having to pull so much out of the Mercedes and until later in the season when he sort of came along strong that oh actually Hamilton has kind of walked me now for the second third of this period and he did actually step up then so I think there's a step up in Russell See, and I think Hamilton Leclerc without copping out without copping out like Verstappen in a Ferrari would be different to Verstappen in a Red Bull and Leclerc in a Mercedes that's not the question blimey where are you going but, like, it's so car-specific, like driver yeah. to the car in F1, yeah. which makes it so difficult to answer. Well, well both how about it. you base it on the teams they were in for this year? That was radical. Okay. No. <laughs> all right. So you said all three cars. What, are, what about if De Vries is in a Mercedes? Yeah, all three cars. In, in Verstappen's in an AlphaTauri, but it's really, really good. <laughs> The same way you have with Merck and Red Bull in 2021, where it would be like, okay. no matter where we were looking at how the cars were better and things like that, it was yeah, always yeah. Verstappen and Hamilton trading first yeah. and second. I'm saying it's the fastest car. But anyway, let's say all three cars are equal. Uh, yeah, Perez, this is six to first, obviously. Perez, Zeitz, uh Russell, Leclerc, Hamilton, Verstappen. So same yeah. as me. I can't remember. Is that what you said? Um, yeah. 
yeah sorry for spring, spring that on you i just thought it would be no fun. it's it's fun um, it's, it's the time to do it you know yeah exactly january. second time of january to, it's the time, time to, to hope it. we're going to be ranking the top six trying to, to, to make it make it eight mate a milking joke there but can can pluck it out in time but, wow. anyway, right. someone has the budget for, cap for all their worth last season was Red Bull or 2021 season was Red Bull. So, will we see yeah, another budget cap related controversy this season? I, I think because my I think I made a point when it did happen in was it October when it September, October when it all played yeah, out yeah. that I think it will happen again when a team breaks the budget mm. cap and it could even be this year. So, I'm just interested to see if slash when it does happen. How do the FA go about it? Will it be, will the, you know, what penalties will it be? Will it take the same amount of time? Will, will we get a faster outcome? That kind of thing. Because it was, I don't know. It was just a bit, it felt a bit negotiated. negotiated. Yeah, yeah. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we said that exactly the same time. We yeah. should do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope they have kind of learn from last year and they almost have a punishment ready for what you know certain things that happen let's say that's my yeah i think if, if it does I think they were keen to say that this was a punishment for this year mm. and that any other acts would be punished suitably if yeah. that makes sense so i think if there is a another instance be it relatively similar then there would be a um i think probably a harsher punishment um and I think there's precedent to that in what has been said. What I, where I do think there could be a controversy then on budget cap in 2023 is that um, it could be that Red Bull, as the team who obviously pushed the boat out, pushed the envelope on where they were for the 2021 usage of the budget, could have then attacked 2022 in the same way. It only realised towards the end of the period that they were, you know, not doing, you know, were under scrutiny. And there could yeah. be elements of that where they were past the point of no return in a right. similar mindset. Um, I don't have that suspicion for, for the other teams because they were fine in the first instance. So I'd imagine they were fine in the second instance. It's the only inkling I've got for potentially another budget cap scandal would yeah. be if if there's been just a plan that's just been followed that they thought would be fine because they thought they'd be fine the year before. And, I agree. Yeah. But that I'd... also could have been rectified at the tail end of the year, to be honest. They could have just then said, oh, okay, well, we're just not going to make this front wing and something like that. And Which is probably what did happen, actually. Look at just it. Probably is what did happen. That's what they so, what put them over. So they just I, went I, hungry I, for three race weekends yeah. and they're fine. <laughs> I agree with you, Nigel. There will, pro- there will be another budget cap scandal. I, I have... I'm leaning more towards not it, it not being this year. I think okay. I think the FIA have really backed themselves into a corner this year, um, or from from Revol because I don't think the rebel punishment was that harsh. I think you know at the bare minimum it should have been a kind of penalty coming out of obviously the financial penalty was seven million dollars pounds euros, but um, it wasn't coming out of the budget cap. So I think that is something that. I think a lot of teams wanted and didn't happen. And we all said, I believe, um, before it came out. So I think now they're in a difficult situation where if there is a similar breach and they do want to treat it more harshly, then they're going to cop a lot of criticism. Obviously, like Freddie said at the start, then it does depend on the breach, the nature of it, how it came about, all of that. But I think if you're a team with deep pockets outside of... um, outside of the budget cap then i think you're looking at the penalty and thinking that's not too bad and if the fia do want to punish something harsher to kind of disincentivize that then they're going to come in for an absolute boatload of criticism um because of how Abu Dhabi ended and then the fact that people thought red bull got off lightly then you know it's really 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 i think they're going to be in a difficult position yeah it'll be it will be like it got yes. quite let's say bad when it happened the first time Petchy. a few months ago yeah, but like if it happens again in seven eight months uh, nine ten months time it'll just be even worse like mm. let's hope it doesn't happen of course let's be positive. yes let's hope it doesn't happen it's always <laughs> nice when everyone's happy and gets along yeah just like this podcast sometimes uh let's move on oh it's you me. idiot 
Yeah, I want to talk about stewarding. <laughs> That's all right. We've got a document for the time. Oh, oh no. Stewarding. Yeah, We've got a document. Uh, oh, so are we, are, we, are we asking the question, do we think stewarding will be a talking point in 2023? Because I of think the answer is yes. <laughs> will, will there be any improvement or will we still see inconsistency every race or every two or three races? Because this has been an issue for years. And will it, is it is we will see consistency change? we will see consistency in how inconsistent it is so you don't think it's going to change no it's not going to change is it i agree with freddie we've got we've got what is it just eduardo freitas now um i'm not sure actually yeah because that was all a bit hush hush um they were saying oh we need the consistency of then the race director but and obviously he's not a steward, but we, and we don't have consistency of the stewards still, and we don't have that VAR room. Well, we don't know if we have that VAR room that Ben Mohammed Ben Salim set up, saying, "Oh, we're going to do this and have a special room where we can, you know, do loads of stuff and tell everyone about how the decisions are made." And that never happened. Um, I mean, so, yeah, just just for some context for that, that was announced before last season, but then yeah, we yes. never heard any of it from Bahrain onwards. We like it might have been used, like, but it, we'd never heard anything. Uh, yes, is, so. Yeah, that'll be interesting. The way it was announced was very showy offy, as if it was a yeah. big, um, a big room that deserved a plaque or something like that. And <laughs> like it, it started to sound like it was just a bit of fluff to make everyone move on from shouting about Michael Mazzi. You know, it'd say, Oh, look, there's a step being made. Let's look forward, not backwards. What a good idea, Raphael. Let's look forwards. Wow. And now we're just looking backwards at them not looking forwards again. I mean, also and, like in terms of F1 has effectively VAR anyway. So it's like, you know, naturally, is, yeah, they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's not, it's kind of, that's the, that's the nature of F1 is that it carries on going, you know, it's different to football in many respects, which why we shouldn't compare them for most of the time. But um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it is the, the nature of it is that it has VAR because it has stewards who have access to screens and can implement penalties after the event that still affects the race or the event. So yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's a strange concept to begin with. But yeah, uh, to kind of round this out, I do not think we're going to see, you know, any significant improvement just because I don't see any reason to think that we will. I, I tend to agree. The one Love thing I will do. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, one thing the one thing I will say on this is other motorsport series have proved you can have efficient, consistent, fast stewarding and get it right 99% of the time. Do it quickly as well during the races, not after the races, if it's like in the middle of the race. Other championships... They've also proved, to be fair, that it's very hard. Um, yeah, it is, but it's doable. I think a lot of them have, have... A lot of racing series have suffered on a, by basically being a much quieter um, group of people to shout about it. And I think if you look at sort of, from a, say, club racing and that kind of thing, which is the least professional motorsport there is. It's the most amateur motorsport and you could say some of that the stewarding is just the most ruthless but can also be just madly inconsistent you kind of think from that perspective if sort of at the root level it's it's mad and inconsistent it's just going to be mad and inconsistent at the top but but championships i've watched over the last 10 years like formula e WEC, v8 supercars imza indycar like indycar especially is arguably the benchmark over the last few years like it is doable. And if F1 is the pinnacle and with all the technology, all the people, I don't see why they can't do it. Especially, you know, we, there's not as much racing, let's say, in F1 compared to these series as well. I mean, these series I'm talking about, there's literally bashes and overtakes and stuff every single lap. In F1, there's a less to monitor, really. So it should be easier. So it, it does baffle me as to why nothing has really improved over the last four or five years. But, hey, it does. Let's be positive again. <laughs> uh, Maybe they haven't employed anyone to sit in the VAR style room. Maybe. Yeah, and right. they just built the room and they're like, oh, damn it. They're all at the race. Yeah. And then forgot. Maybe they forgot. Uh, I haven't forgot the next topic, which is track <laughs> oh, contracts, oh, oh, oh. which is what Adam wants to talk about because lots of tracks. Adam, regale are... us with the story of track contracts. Lots of, yeah, lots of tracks are going to be out of contract either this year or in the next couple of years, aren't they? Yeah, that, that's the thing. So this year it is only two. Um, well, it's one and a question mark because Austria has a multi-year contract, which people think is going to be this year. Uh, but if it's not this year, it'll be the next few years. And then Spa got that one-year extension um, that was, you know, very last minute and it's here, but not 
it, it still feels like there's a lot of work uh, to be done to for both sides to agree to a long-term extension. And then the year after that, it's Silverstone and Suzuka. And then the year after that, it's Monaco and Imola and Monza and Mexico and Zandvoort and Vegas, although Vegas, you can imagine, will be extended more, and into Lagos. So given that they want to have this 25-race calendar and there's already, you know, we're pretty filled out on that and there's China who is con- has a contract um until past 2025 and wants to come back in and there's south africa who there's you know there's things that have fallen through but it does feel like we are going to get that race confirmed at some point then you know at least one of these european tracks is going to be going or um or suzuka but hopefully not um but yeah one of these kind of classic tracks or i guess into Lagos. but anyway one of these classic tracks is going to be going and this is the year where those dominoes will really start to fall because you've got um, Austria, who I, I hope would stay. You've got Spa, which has just had kind of more and more um, question marks over it. You've got Monza coming up in a few years, which it feels like it's every time that contract comes up for renegotiation, then there's more question marks, more uncertainty about what's going to happen. Um, and then you've got kind of, you know, the... The other fan favourites in um, Imola, which has become a fan favourite um, somewhat unexpectedly over the last few years, and Interlagos and Suzuka and Baku, which is the one I failed to mention for 2024 as well. So it just feels like, you know, F1 is running towards a deadline where it is going to have to start dropping some of these circuits if the rumours are to be believed and the dominoes are going to start to fall this season, I think, on that. I, I think from, from what I know financially, which is not a lot, obviously, Imola, Spa and Zandvoort are the ones that are a bit iffy to me out of the ones that are going to be out of contract over the next two, three years or so. Uh, so those are the three that at least one of them, to me, will drop off is what I would say to that right now. I think the big problem on a lot of these kind of things is um, sort of how they go about trying to stay in contract and things like that. And I think Silverstone's one that raises a lot of questions because of the dynamic pricing that they've introduced and things like that. I can't, I wouldn't be surprised if you see much more kind of similar unfortunate tactics to selling tickets from lots of circuits that maybe still sell out, but price it out a bit and kind of change the, the nature of where Formula One is anyway, because that's fine for a couple of years, but it's it's unfeasible after a few years to kind of have that kind of structure. So even if a few of them, go for that i think even in the longer 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 term let's talk four five six years there could be even even more headaches on this regard in terms of how these contracts get settled if the contracts for the from formula one side are worth more and more money then it's going to be harder and harder for for tracks to do so and you know you've got two races in in italy um there's only so much that can be propped up that those prices can be propped up from sort of local um, regions. The Emilia Romagna Grand Prix is called so because of the Emilia Romagna um, province helping out and things like that. But a lot of these races don't have uh, the yeah. assistance that um, is required. And when you've got races like Vegas being set up entirely by Formula One themselves, it it begs the question: Is there going to be sort of protest? protests from the track promoters in, in the years to come. And I think it's a really interesting topic to look at from that regard, because you can sort of see a, a tracks promoters association forming for, for European tracks specifically sort of saying, well, hang on a second, we're fronting millions here and, and having to price out tons of people. And, you know, I think there's a genuine will be an interesting will to see on how they want to go about their relationship with formula one in the future. Cause yeah, for, for, that's pretty much all of these tracks having Formula One is, is wonderful for them. And it's just though, sometimes it can be completely unfeasible to have Formula One. So yeah, you look at somewhere like Sepang, they don't have any interest in having Formula One back because it was unfeasible for them to front up the costs for it. And they weren't getting the reward from it reputationally and so on. And they were happy just to keep bikes because that was working for them. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you can see some tracks making that kind of decision in coming years be it be it at austria or somewhere like baku baku thinking we put so much effort into changing this city into a formula one circuit and it's just very difficult to do so and formula one's too demanding you can see the powers that be in a baku council saying well 
nah, actually, jog on, and things like that. And it's, I think, I think one of the reasons it's taken a bit of time with Kyle Army is because there's been a few of these kind of discussions at the outset of any dis- any discussions with Formula One, sort of saying you've got to front all these costs on how to change it, and but we really want you to do it, and so on. And Kyle Army, like, well, hang on a second. Give us a hand then. We're just a little circuit in South Africa. You're the big conglomerate here. And they're at loggerheads. And I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if that becomes a major talking point with a with a few circuits down the line. It does feel like we're in the middle of an almost evolution of the F1 calendar. I mean, obviously it changes year on year or every couple of years. But if you look at 2019, we didn't have any Saudi Arabia, no Qatar, we were no Miami. Yeah, no, no, no Las Vegas. We've had these four races come on and we could have more Middle Eastern races and we've already lost France. We're probably going to lose one or two more classics, let's say. So it does feel like from 2019 up to, let's say, 2025, the F1 calendar is going to be very, very different to what it was. So I think we're in the middle of this evolution period, I think. And and it's not like it's easy to just say you know I'll oh, get rid of Qatar or get rid of Abu Dhabi or you know uh, Melbourne's one that's kind of coming in for more and more slack as it seems to not um, you know be losing its grip on the opening race of the season but they are locked in all of those are locked in I think until the twenty thirties um, Australia is about thirty one or thirty two and they've got in that contract thirty seven isn't it. Uh, I thought I pulled that from, my, from the back of um, my head, but I thought it was something like that. Either Qatar or Bahrain is until 2036. Um, there's some absolutely mental ones. Australia will ho- host the opening round five times between now and when its contract runs out, but or at least five times, I should say. But you know, it's not. In, you know, we talked about this um, last season as well. It's not a case of just listing the Grand Prix circuits that you don't like or haven't produced great racing and saying get rid of those because, you know, there are contracts and, you know, the ones in a lot of cases, the people's favourite circuits are the ones that have the shortest tether on those contracts. So, yeah, um, you know, Catalonia is another one that's in for 2028 and they've committed to kind of longer rebuilding works on there. So, yeah, it's it's a real... There is going to be, I think a lot of upset from fans kind of losing fan favorite tracks. And I think, you know, really the ones that I really hope stay are the four from the 1950 season. Um, you know, those four kind of original ones in uh, Silverstone, Monza, Monaco and Spa. What it is worth saying is that the rotational element of a calendar is still being shouted about quite a lot. That's not a, that's not a, a compromise that's died out. And, it's a very sort of, I mean, it worked pretty nicely with the Hockenheim Nürburgring sort of style for six or seven years until they both ran out of money and ran out of sort of the feasibility with Formula One but from th- both their sides. But I think that's um, the point is like, if you're only hosting every two years, if you're only getting those gate receipts every two years, it does mm-hmm. kind of, you know, if, if you're on, I think it's a slippery slope if, if you get yeah. onto that because, you know, we've not that I can think of recently seeing circuits go on that rotation and then come back um, fully. Yeah, that to me, Again, I, I agree. I... We'd have to see it in practice in the in the future, but I do think there's an element of it that that is very true, and I think there needs to be more from Formula One from this side, really. If, if yeah. Spa goes biannual, then it's only a few years before it goes. That's my kind of... I, I agree. Fair I enough. Agree. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, so, yeah, calendar talk. We like mm. calendar But, yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth stressing. This isn't, you know, this won't all be decided this year, but this will be where the domino starts for the kind of pieces start, you know, move even further into a position. Absolutely. We'll um, come back to Adam's contract, calendar contract corner routinely throughout the year. <laughs> I don't know. We, we signed contracts, did we? <laughs> didn't know that. Uh, that's why, that's where all the money's going. Anyway, uh, something that was announced in between our last podcast, which was, of course, brilliantly done by Freddie and Adam Bartz, I was having troubles with planes, uh, not going to mention any companies, is that the FIA announced that the drivers or people will be banned from making political statements without permission from the governing body, which is, of course, the FIA. Uh, I mean, we've got to go back all the way to 2020 and to the We Races One campaign when the pandemic started, when that came out, because this is where it kind of started with F1's push to, to have diversity and that kind of thing after the Black Lives Matter movement kind of came 
stronger and came about that year. And then now they're saying you can't make political statements unless you get permission, which is In itself is a political statement. Yeah, you can say that. And it is just doesn't to me it comes back to you should be allowed it well if, if you're watching TV or if you're at the track and you're angered by someone putting on a shirt or doing something for 20 to 30 seconds, that is your problem because that statement or political statement or, or whatever you might want to call it could have a really positive effect for millions of people watching. When Lewis Hamilton uh, does his salute or does whatever he wants to do, that can have a really positive effect and make and change other people's minds. But if, if you're someone who sees that and goes, oh, why is he doing that? I just want to I just want to see the racing. Then to me, you are the problem with it. And if and if the FIA are not allowing drivers to do this, then it's just restriction, quite frankly. It's, it's not, I mean, I don't want to get into a freedom of speech kind of big thing, but it is it's restricting what uh, people can do, which can have a massive effect on the world, especially when you saw like Hamilton or the staff who's got massive followings. So it's just that element for me. The FIA want to make it like for themselves kind of thing. Like they're, they're making the rules and saying, these are the rules, take it or leave it. Uh, and the rules, I mean, you can say, oh, you should just accept the rules, but some, some, something like this or sometimes you can't always accept the rules, rules if those rules are not correct, quite frankly. So that's my take on it. Mm. I, I mean, I'd echo everything you said. I think the the thing things I'd add is, you know, if people who say keep politics and sport separate, that's impossible. It's not, you know, sport is, you know, po- politics is all around sport as soon as you get What's off the, the field sport? or the track. <laughs> and, you know, the, the reason that Saudi Arabia are having a race or are sponsoring Newcastle United or, you know, it's and there are countless other examples of this are, you know, it, it's legitimizing it is using sport to show off your country and your regime. And that's, that's political. And yeah, it's not, you can't separate the two. And you know, the people who say, oh, you know, sport sportsmen should just stick to, or sport, sports players should just stick to sport and they shouldn't get into this because they, they're just sports and, you know, it's not their field. It's, you know, that's, if, if you're an electrician, so do you not, be allowed to you know make your political opinion because you should just be interested in electrics or you know if you're a librarian just interested in books it's like it's not a valid argument to say that and it's not a valid argument to separate the two and yeah it's it's as i say it's kind of negative it's censorship from the fia and it just gives them a really bad look i think the crucial point for me is that like i just said it's a political move in itself it's it it is it is an attempt to say okay we're about the racing but it, it what it does then is it creates a um a sort of for one of a better phrase style guide in what's an appropriate protest to make and what's an appropriate um anger to have and it it it, it weaponizes every single thing that formula one puts itself behind be it a sustainability push be it a rights push and things like that which formula one has said um, since in retroactively, and this is an FIA move, it's not a Formula One move, but um, the FIA, I should say, have said since that, you know, they will continue to stand for the, all these kind of things. But now what they're having to do is to backpedal and what they're having to do is to um, realistically, what's the word? Not with censorship, but basically offer their own basic political opinion on everything yeah, which yeah. makes every issue bigger and makes every issue more magnified party line party line precisely and completely changes the way someone can then speak in that uh in that arena and it it gives more power to the protester which in some regards can be potentially seen as a good thing um and that can kind of work. We saw the the jewelry thing that it was proved to be pretty pointless, and the protests on that basically sort of helped out. And for some reason, I, that seems to be something that really riled Nigel. But um, it's, no, it, it, it didn't. Um, it didn't. <laughs> and but it is just kind of like it's offering sort of a dangerous route for any sort of conversation to be had, and changes the game completely. It's 
it's a massive shame and it it really sort of steps formula one back in many directions i mean there was um i think it's understandable to sort of have made this move 10 years ago when there weren't wasn't really a as big a move on popular protest in 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 popular positions and you know when it back back when it was all oh, celebrities doing politics da 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 but i think what the past couple of years have proved that celebrities and sports people getting involved in politics has really helped to push for the for good and a, a lack of recognition for that or an attempt and an attempt to stomp it out and to stop it is is quite a scary part of the problem i mean yeah it, it, I, was, I was just gonna say it does feel like uh, the FIA looked at the FIFA World Cup and saw how they handled the uh, one love armband situation, which England, Germany, and six other nations uh, didn't wear in the end because FIFA said you weren't allowed unless you, then, well, you could, but then you'd get a sporting penalty, such as a yellow or, or red card or something. It does, it does feel like the FIA have kind of looked at that and said, oh, we'll have some of that. And that got a lot of backlash as well. But I just hope if drivers do believe in something, they do what? Iran did or do what Joni did and covered her mouth or you know, to make if they believe in something, make a protest and still go with it and risk a sporting sporting punishment. That, that's if I was a driver, that's that's what I'd do. Uh yeah. Let's move on to let's end with a bit of a more positive uh note. Uh silly season. Yes, we've already talked about it, even though twenty twenty three jobs, mate. That's not positive. <laughs> twenty twenty three is just Started. I mean, they should find a driver somewhere. Well, actually, they might not. But most, in most cases, they'll find a driver in some other form. Uh, Freddie, or oh, who actually? Oh no, it was almost. Sorry, I'm going mad. Who, who, who wants to take the lead on this? Sorry. <laughs> As a member of all of us, I can speak. <laughs> um, that's like that's um, like the Top Gear thing, isn't it? When they say like, when one of them does it, and that counts like the whole team, but one of them does like the stupid challenge, it's like. That means the whole team passed. Okay, no <laughs> Well, no, we're going to talk about it. It's not just me talking and then the podcast. <laughs> um, um, does, yeah, and yeah. Well, maybe uh, it is, and then ends the. No. Maybe it is. Maybe we'll just end. Um, but yeah, so silly season seemed to take on a new level in 2022. In that we went, I think, helped by we, us going into it thinking it was going to be a pretty minor silly season, which then developed into a a pretty decent sized volatile pop-up and scare you horror film of a silly season um for a lot of people where you just think hang on a second this has happened now this has happened now this has happened oh but now he said this is this hasn't happened but this has happened what i'm confused and that was the the 2022 silly season in, in a in a nutshell um and it does kind of lend itself to 2023 being a continuation of that with with sort of the hot potato not having quite been dropped and a few a few positions, obviously the rookie positions are going to be questionable, but there's a few positions in Formula One that are are now sort of have more question marks on them. The Sonoda position has a question mark. The the Haas team isn't future proofed. The um the likes of Lance Stroll are set to be shown up and there's quite a few just positions in teams that don't seem to have the best backing just because their teammates are quite good. So I think, I think even with anyone who's got a contract, you could look at them and think, Oh, even still for the majority of the drivers in formula one for 2023, just because of the nature of the way it's going. And I think you've got to fight fire with fire. And I know you were saying that Horner and Wolf were very unhappy with the, the whole Piastri management scenario and I think that's fair enough and it, it could mean that everything's a lot more tighter this year but it could also mean that everyone's going to strike while the iron's hot and try and do everything very aggressively I don't think we're going to see much change at all personally I don't, that's boring I, I'm just, I, that's, yeah, that's how I, I see things be I, tight. I, I, I actually agree but I think it's I think there'll be a lot of noise for not a lot of action basically I think um it's a it's a kind of weird position where you've got you know for for the longest time basically since uh, Charles Leclerc and um, then 2019 then you've had F2 be the dominant feeder in, but um, now you're in a position where a lot of the drivers who will be linked with these seats aren't 
coming straight from Meta, you've got Mick Schumacher and Daniel Ricciardo um, obviously out there. You've got Herta and Pelo if they're being mentioned in these next season. And you've got Van Dorn um, and there'll be others that I've forgotten as well. So there's it, there's a lot more drivers out there who aren't coming from F2 than are. Um, and then even then, you know, you've got Drogovic who's on a year out, Porsche who maybe on a year out uh, and Schwartzman as well is kind of a longer shot. So there's just a lot of buzz around there. So yeah, I think, I think kind of looking at maybe one name, I think my guess would be Iwasa um, might get a shot at Alpha Tauri. Um, he finished fifth in F2 last season and uh, Duan finished sixth. So he's another name around there. But I think you're looking at the F2 grid as it is so far. And there's a lot of drivers who you think will make it really competitive in 2024 but you know unless one of them has a stellar rookie season which isn't out of the question then it might be a case where a lot are taking those second seasons and building on there so yeah I think it'll be one driver coming up I think it'll be a Wasser but I think there'll be a lot of rumour and a lot of speculation When there's been massive like silly season changes let's say it's always been because someone at the top team has moved on like a Vettel or a Raikkonen or Alonso and I don't see Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, Alpine, McLaren changing. Unless there's a falling out, of course, which could happen. So, it, and those are probably going to, well, those could be the top five teams. So, that is why I think we won't see too much. I do think one of Ricardo or Schumacher will be back, or both even. I'm quite sure about that. But apart from that, it's difficult to say. I, uh, I, think... I, I don't see any of those teams that I mentioned before. Uh, changing their lineup. I think the the interesting, probably not this season so much, but um twenty twenty four and twenty five. I think the interesting one to watch will be Audi, um because obviously they've already moved for Sidon and they'll be um you know positioning to get there. So yeah, I mean if it was this season, then you could see say a Science going or um Russell or Hamilton yeah. maybe um out of those top teams or Norris. So I think that'll be the interesting one to watch. But it is too early, I'd say at the moment to um you know, be kind of positioning for that because it's still three years away. So, yeah, I think, I think they'll, I, I still think there'll be a lot of speculation, but I think in the end it will kind of come down to it. But yeah, I just think it's interesting because there's not that channel that you can look at and really use that to obviously compare the drivers that are in the frame and all of that. It's a lot more widespread and um, yeah, kind of talking on subjectivity. See, this is what I thought this time last year. <laughs> So who knows? Yeah, but also, doing the job for hype. I also agree with you, but I'm doing the job for hype. I mean, that's that's the thing, though. I mean, you know, you had 2018, two drivers, 2019, three, 21, uh, 2021, you had three drivers coming in, and then last season was one driver. Well, that's so just coming in, though. Of, the changing oh, around in between. 2018 to 19, there was only two teams that had the same lineup, and that was Mercedes yeah. and Haas. Mm. So there's differences to that. There's different ways of judging that. Yeah, but I don't know. I think... I think it'll be a bit quieter. I think you do. The end of 2018 was mad. Apparently, Ocon was going to go to McLaren for three races. Like, mm. everyone seems to forget about how crazy that was, but he wasn't able to because he was too tall. He had a seat fit. He didn't fit in the car. And then he left Formula One. Carlos Sainz could have left Formula One then, but because Ocon was too tall, Carlos Sainz is now at Ferrari. It's no, mad. I, I mean, this is the thing. It, it takes one falling out at Ferrari or Red Bull or Mercedes, and then everything. Or Williams. Or Williams, yes. <laughs> that thing we're looking forward to. But but yeah, it is... The Sergeant Alban battle will be raging. They'll be clawing at each other when they're out of the car. <laughs> On paper, there shouldn't be much change. On paper. But if, if it's all on paper. It's contracts. Paper's white. Are they digital well. contracts? <laughs> if, if there is one to fall or something to start it off, where, where do you think it will be and what do you think it will be? Well, whoever falls out in Red Bull Ferrari... Alpine or Mercedes. I think. Oh, but to pick one, because that's nearly hard. Sonoda. <laughs> really? Yeah. I can, see, I can see I can see I can see Helmut Marco getting really annoyed at him because he's he's still quite candid about his attitude, if that makes sense. And I even with the discussions about DeFries coming in, they're they're looking for him to lead the team. So they're <laughs> I think there's still reservations on Sonoda that are quite public there. And going into a third season at Alpha Tower, Alpha Tower, Alpha Tauri hasn't hasn't really ended well for the majority of drivers who have done so. 
Fantasy think... Clash should add to none oh, yeah. of those teams. Okay. I... Uh, the easy one to say is Red Bull. But I'm not going to say it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, yeah, I I think... The, the thing with AlphaTauri and Sonoda is I think it will just be a very... I think Quite it'll be a very sad cl- demise. It, it will just kind of be a very clean um, Sonoda out, and then non a current non F1 driver coming in. Um, you know, maybe Russell might do really else, well. But um, oh, Zay Maloney, Freddie's best mate. But I think um, <laughs> I like Zay Maloney. You know, I don't think they'll kind of be that domino effect um, where you know if you're a current driver on the grid, I don't think you're looking at AlphaTauri really um, covetously. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of I don't see that being a big. Um, chain reaction starter, but who knows? It does depend because the De Vries signing completely shakes up that, that team from a driver perspective. Um, mean, also, last season, if you'd said Alonso leaving Alpine would be the big chain reaction, then you'd think, oh, what's the big deal? They'll just bring in Piastri and it will be as it was, and it wasn't. So you don't know with these things. But... We don't know what Jack Doohan's planning. We don't know. We don't know anything, but we're still doing we do. That's enough. Being yeah, we've just spoken for over an hour about how we don't know anything. <laughs> we don't. Adam what, knows a surprising amount about contracts. <laughs> what, what I will say is, if yeah, over the last 70 or 80 hours, long minutes we've been doing this, I hope uh, if I go through a difficult time or bad time like I have over the last month or so, uh, that we've given you something else to think about, I guess, and a bit of enjoyment from F1 talks. The season is still a bit away. We will have more podcasts this month and in February about ranking the grid and Formula E maybe and other yes. F1 things uh, we will find time to do it yes I've, yeah we will tune we will. in for we driver will. rankings we will. We next will. week we'll do some driver rankings yeah let's do some oh, there you go so next week driver rankings uh, and probably a Formula E pod from Nigel and I yeah if we can find the time find time yeah you will know if we don't find the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah until Whatever that is next time, I hope you have a good week and we'll see you next time. Bye. Happy New Year. Goodbye. Here we go. This is the only time I get to do this. The first time for 2023. So I've got to get it right. Or else. There's a pep talk. <laughs> yeah. To myself. Lose yourself no, I, over I the top it. of I like this. it. I'm but all about fair, this. this is great. Because I'm not going to get a chance to do it for 2023 for the first episode of the intro again. Ever. No. So if I mess it I, up, then. Well, it's not like we, we can might make you do it again. again.